I'm not going to make y'all get up and get down, get up and get down. I'll tell you what. I've been chasing a deer. His, his name's The Beast. And I have pictures on him in this area. And I'll go just so excited and, ex, you know, expect, expectation, you know. These expectations. That, that, the beast is going to show up and I'm going to slay the beast, you know. He's got some, I don't know what it is, but he always knows where I'm at and he always goes the opposite direction. And I was in this deer stand the other day and it was getting close to dark and so I said, he ain't coming. And I got to thinking about God. What I do in a deer stand is I pray, I study my Bible, I listen to podcasts and occasionally look up. No beast. I'll just go back to doing what I'm doing. You know, somebody told me one time, they said, you preach so much better in deer season than you do any other time of year. Well, I'm getting twice the word I normally get because I'm just, you know, you're sitting for hours and hours and hours on end. And I got to thinking about God sitting on hours and hours on end waiting on his people to come. He has a picture of you being there, but that expectation is not met when we don't show up for him. You know, I mean, something just simple as that can be a revelation to somebody. But what I do want you to know is this. What I preached last Sunday, before I preached, I said participation is praise. I'm going to remind you for the rest of my life. It's we'll put, we're going to put the amen sign back up if y'all are care careful, you know. I'm going to text them, put the amen sign up. <laughs> but anyway, it is an honor and a privilege to have Bradley here preaching his first message as an ordained minister. Amen. So Bradley, here you go, bro. Thank you. Uh, so <clears throat> I'm glad that they didn't put the picture of me in the pink shirt up, even though I didn't wear it. <laughs> I intentionally didn't wear that shirt. I started to, just in case y'all didn't recognize me so y'all would know who it was from the picture, right? <laughs> but man, um, that song they just played, man, it, it, almost every time I hear that song, evidence of its goodness, it wrecks me. Yeah. Because he's been so good to me, right? Yeah. Uh, and then it says the promises in fulfillment. And this is a promise in fulfillment. Because um, something around 42 or 43 years ago, my grandpa told my mother that I was going to be a preacher when I grew up. I might not have even have been able to walk yet. And I did everything I could to keep that from happening. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but then I had a conversation with uh, one of my leaders, uh, in January, and uh, I had a million things on my mind of how the conversation might go, but him telling me that someone wanted me to be a pastor was not one of them, right? But here I am, um, and so um, disclaimer is, I make words up, but normally they're close enough to where you can know what I mean, right? <clears throat> and so, man, I just want to start out by giving honor to Pastor Paul and Ginger for this opportunity to be here, and um and this church is, is a special place to me because 
Uh, this is where Kelly and I went to church when we first started dating. And uh, I spent a lot of time here. And there uh, are some people here that are very close to me. Uh, Miss Jody and Devin. Very near to me. Very near to us. And very near to a lot of people. Because they do so much for everybody they have contact with. <clears throat> Let me pray. Father, I just give you thanks for this opportunity. Father, I just pray, God, that this message challenges the hearers, God. I pray that you would speak through me, God, that I would be your mouthpiece. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, <clears throat> I might be done crying for the, for the day. Yeah. So, everybody's a believer? Raise your hand. I got a, at least 15 believers in the room. There we go. And so, and look, in times past, I've, I've asked somebody, I've wanted to uh, talk to somebody about Jesus, but uh, I haven't always been bold, right? Uh, Satan, he'll try to stop you from doing uh, everything he can. He doesn't want you to talk to people about Jesus, right? He doesn't want you to be a, a witness uh, for Jesus. So, so has anybody asked somebody else that you felt like God wanted you to, to say something to them or talk to them about Jesus? Anybody ever just asked somebody if they were a believer? Anybody? And just left it at that, right? You're a believer. So I want to ask you this. Why do we do that? And I asked myself that question about two weeks ago or a week ago in a Bible study that I was having with some men. And, um, and my answer was uh, because sometimes it can be uncomfortable to, to talk to somebody about Jesus. And so if we ask them if they're a believer and they say yes, then we feel like we've done what we're supposed to do without the uncomfortability, right? That might be one of those words. Uncomfortability. Anyway, uh, you know what I meant, see? So, James 2.19, it says, you believe there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe. Right? How do you know that person you just asked if they were a believer might have been a demon? Right? It says even the demons believe. So this message is going to be a little challenging. And I hope it challenges everyone in the room if you're not already involved in this process that we're going to talk about today. So, obviously, uh, believing is a big part of salvation, right? Because uh, John 3.16, it says, to anyone who believes, right? And in Romans 10.9 and 10, it says, uh, confess and believe. So, believe is part of faith, right? If, if you don't believe, you don't have faith in something. Atheists say they don't believe, but they really have more faith than I do, probably, because I think it takes more faith to believe that nothing created everything than it does to, take, than it does to believe that there's a divine creator. So I looked up the word believer uh, or believers. Guess how many times it's in the Bible? Believers I found three times. Believer, I found once. <clears throat> but there's a word that's in there in my New King James Version 269 times. That word's disciple. The Greek word is uh, 
I've listened to this about 60 times this week, and I'm probably still going to pronounce it wrong. Mathetes. M-A-T-H-E-T-E-S. Disciple. A disciple, uh, that Greek word just simply means a learner, a pupil, or a disciple. And so today I want to look at the message, uh, the title of my message is Bookends. I don't know if he put that up there, maybe. Um, and so I just want to look at um, the bookends of Jesus' words to his, uh, to his, uh, to his men, right? And, and this isn't the first recorded words of Jesus uh, when he began his ministry after the temptation. He came out of the temptation, and his first message that he ever preached was a message of repentance, right? right. But then he goes to calling his, his men, and the first uh, words that he says to his men is, follow me. Matthew 4.19, it says, follow me, and I will make you to be fishers of men, right? So uh, he took what they were already doing, and he put a little twist on it, right? He told Bradley, follow me, and I'm going to make you a seller of poinsettias, right? Right? Some of y'all got that, right? I'm going to make you a seller of spring flower baskets, right? Still going to be doing what you're good at, but you're going to use it for Teen Challenge and for my glory. So, uh, so God uses what the gift that he gave us or uh, what we're good at, and he uses it for his glory. So he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it's interesting to me how these men literally left everything to follow Jesus, having no clue that he was the Messiah. They just knew he was a rabbi. And following a rabbi was a, it was a big deal in, in, in the Eastern culture, and it still is. But in the West, we've minimized following Jesus. Kelly told me I drank too much water the very first message I ever gave. She said, you're drinking too much water up there. Take about three sips. <laughs> so that's, that's my second sip, I think. <clears throat> so we've minimized that, and we've, uh, you know, we know who Jesus is, but we still have a problem with obedience. But these men left everything to follow a rabbi, a teacher. And there was a saying in, in those days that uh, it, it was said like this. They would connect themselves to the man of God who had the words of God, and it would be as if they were connected to God himself, right? They would connect themselves to these rabbis because these rabbis had the interpretations of God, and it would be almost like they were connected to God himself. Not that these rabbis were gods, so don't take that the wrong way. But they knew they would be getting closer to God if they followed this rabbi. They had unquestioning obedience when they left everything to follow him. He said, follow me, they left. And um, I just want to ask you this question. What if that was you in that case? Jesus came up to your job and he said, follow me. You're... you're Pretty good job, right? Because Peter, it says in Luke, it doesn't say this in every gospel, but it says in Luke chapter 5 that Peter owned the boat. <clears throat> and if he owned his own boat in those days, he would have been considered a better off man than a lot of people because he had a very significant means of, in of income. 
And Jesus is still telling people to follow him today. He's still telling people, uh, hey, follow me, follow me. I got something for you to do. Follow me, I got something for you to do. And, and it wasn't until the last time I was arrested and sitting in the back of a cop car that I actually listened to that voice that said, follow me. So Jesus, he's still in the prisons. He's still in the, he's still in the drug houses. He's still in the streets. He's still coming to people's job and saying, follow me. This isn't just something that happened then. He's still saying, follow me, and I'm going to use you. In the New Testament, a rabbi would call a new disciple by saying, follow me. It meant that from that time forward, their life would change drastically as they would be dead to their old life and alive in their new life. They would literally leave everything they knew and begin to follow their new teacher. If you were called to follow a rabbi, you would be taking their set of rules or their teachings upon you with the idea that one day you would perpetuate those ideas to future generations. A rabbi's set of teachings in that day was called their yoke. This is why Jesus, uh, this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The rabbis of Jesus' day put heavy yokes uh, loaded with burdens on the men and did not help them to lift them. And we see an example of this in Luke uh, eleven forty six, where Jesus, uh, he's giving the woes to the Pharisees and the lawyers. And he says, hey, look, the lawyers started to ask him stuff. He's telling these Pharisees all about themselves, right? They didn't like it. And then the lawyers trying to speak up and trick him. He said, look here, woe to you lawyers also, for you load men with heavy burdens, hard to bear, and you yourselves don't touch them with one of your fingers. And so I've often thought about the yoke of Jesus when I take his yoke upon me, right? And we all know what a a yoke is, a literal yoke is something to yoke two oxen together to plow or do some work, right? And I think about being yoked in that same yoke with Jesus himself and how light it is because Jesus is carrying all the burden. Because Jesus has already done the work. Because Jesus says it's finished. So I'm fighting or I'm plowing or I'm yoked in from a point of uh, I'm already won, right? I'm not fighting to win. I'm fighting from the win, right? Around 14 or 15 uh, years old, uh, school was over uh, and the rabbis would come to question uh, them about uh, them and those that are Around 14 or 15 years old, school was over for these young men. Uh, The rabbis would come to question them and choose the best of the best. They would leave everything to follow and learn everything the rabbi was teaching. Uh, They would even begin to uh, walk like them in in certain cases. They would be following them so closely, they would be imitating the way they would walk, the way they would talk. You ever, uh, there's a Certain, uh, there's a different couple of different churches that I, I I love to go to in the past, and and um, these pastors they they have a certain style of preaching, right? And uh, there's one in particular that's on my mind, but I'm not going to say it. And they might know it if they ever heard this. But uh, when one of the guys from the church gets up and 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 preaches, he sounds just exactly like the the pastor, right? And it's not, a, uh, it's not a, a black church, but he almost sounds like he's preaching in the black church to me. And I love it, right? And Kelly knows what I'm talking about. I love it. Uh, and so, because they get excited, right? And, 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 and they got the organ playing up there with them, and, and I, I like that. Um, so anyway, they would, uh, when they left, uh, they would say to the pupils, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbis. 
the ones that didn't get chosen would be told to go and ply their trade and join the family business and have children and play the, pray that their children might become rabbis, right? Rabbi was a big deal. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, and I thought about this. I, I actually preached a different message on uh, being covered in the dust of your rabbi. So it literally means that they would be following this rabbi so closely that the dust that was coming up off his feet would cover them, right? They would be covered literally in the dust of their rabbi, right? And, uh, and, I, and I gave this example uh, about everybody knows the footprints in the sand, the little picture that, that everybody used to have on their walls, and some people still do, and it's a good picture, and, and it says something like this. It says, hey, what about those times when there was only one set of footprints in the sand? And Jesus said, that's where I was carrying you, right? That was the, that's what that picture says. But what if you got to heaven... And you saw that picture in the sand, and there was two prints, and then there was one set of prints. And you said, Jesus, what, what, what's, what's that all about? And he said, Bradley, Kelly, Paul, that's where you were following me so close. You were stepping in the very tracks I was stepping in. Yeah. Right? You were being covered in the dust that I was kicking up off of my feet, right? Amen. And that's what Jesus wants from us. He wants us to follow him so closely that we're literally stepping in the same places where he stepped. And I, I got that illustration from my stepdad because he used to tell me to step where he stepped because I'd be walking through the woods while we were hunting and I'd be crunching the leaves and breaking sticks and, and he was real quiet in front of me, right? So he said, step where I step and then you're not going to be so loud. <laughs> right? So, but what if we were following Jesus that closely? That's what it meant. The fact that these men were out fishing meant they were plying their trade. And it's, uh, it's a safe, safe assumption uh, to say that, that they didn't meet the criteria, right? They didn't have the, the Bible memorized the, the way they should have had it memorized. They couldn't quote what they should have had been able to quote. So they were rejected by religion, right? They were out plying their trade. They were out making the family, joined themselves to the family business and, and probably trying to have kids and uh, at some point, praying that they might become a rabbi because that's what they would tell them. Yeah. Jesus' method was men. His method is still men. Satan's method is also men. Satan has some disciples too. And I was discipled by several of those for many years. And then I became one myself because I would disciple people and the things and the lifestyle that I was living. I would coach people along and tell them how to do what they needed to do to, to get what they thought they wanted to have. So that was the very first recorded word. That was one of the bookends. And everybody knows what bookends are, what, what bookends I'm talking about. It's one thing on this end and one thing on this end. And you use them to hold your books together, right? right. So this is the bookends of Jesus' words to his disciples. The very first one, and I, and I just think about the very first recorded words, like first words are a big deal. If anybody's got kids in the room, you know that the very first words are very memorable, right? Memorable. Another one of those words. You remember them. Uh, so uh, people write them down. People record them. They try to catch them uh, uh, on a recording, on a phone or whatever, right? On a video. They're trying to catch this stuff. It's a big deal. So every word that was spoken of Jesus was a big deal, but I can't help but think that those first words stuck with them forever, right? Yeah. Forever. 
right? The Bible says in John that, that Jesus did so much that if you wrote it all down in a book, you, it, the books of the world wouldn't even be able to hold it. So them being mere men, there's no doubt they forgot some of the stuff. But the very first words that Jesus said, they probably wouldn't have forgot. And then you go all the way to the back of Matthew in the last chapter, in the last verses, the last four verses of the uh, book of Matthew, and you hear the last words of Jesus to his men. And it says this. Then the eleven disciples went away to Galilee and to the mountain which uh, Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. So I just want to go through those four verses with you. And I want to point out some things to you. The very first one in, those, uh, in that set of verses, it's, uh, it says the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. This was the only scheduled post-resurrection meeting with Jesus. The rest of them, they, just, they saw him here, they saw him there, but this one was scheduled. He said, it says that, that, that they were appointed to meet him there. It said that uh, he had already appointed a place for them and they were to go there. And this was a 80 to 100 mile uh, trip, best I can tell. It was 80 to 100 miles from where they were at to where they had to meet Jesus. And so I, I can only think about what was going on in their mind while they were walking all this way, knowing full well that Jesus could have just popped up on them, right, while they were all together, but he scheduled this place for them. And they were probably, uh, uh, there was probably all kind of conversations. They were probably thinking they were going to get rebuked uh, uh, and, and, and all this different stuff, but there was a lot of time to think. I can only imagine what the conversation would have been because I, I know when, when Gary Bentley told me, he said, Bradley, I need to meet with you. Um, I want to have a conversation with you, right? Uh, uh, and, and I knew that it was nothing uh, bad because I do my job, uh, but I was probably puffing myself up a little uh, more than I should have been in my mind, right? I'm like, well, they probably want me to open another center and make me director of it and probably want me to pioneer a new teen challenge somewhere. Might want to send me to Hawaii. And, you know, I, I had all these things that I knew were probably not going to be the, what he was going to say. But they were probably thinking the same thing. They're, every one of them probably thought that Jesus was fixing to put them in charge over everything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. John was probably challenging Peter to another race because he had outrun Peter already to the tomb, right? He's like, look, double to nothing, man. Come on, let's do it. I don't know, but it, it was definitely some thoughts going on and probably some pretty in-depth conversation. Uh, it says, when, when they saw him, uh, if you look up that word saw, it's to see with the mind or perceive with the mind or perceive in the spirit. They worshiped him. That word worship uh, is a compound uh, Greek word, and the first part is pros, P-R-O-S, and it means towards. And the second part is K-Y-N-E-O, and it means to kiss, uh, and that word, when it compounded together, literally means to fall down to one's knees and to adore someone in worship or to kiss the ground when prostrate before a superior. So they were in some serious worship. They were worshiping. Right? They were, they were literally prostrate on the ground, kissing the ground in front of Jesus and worshiping the way they should have been. 
but it said some doubted. And in my mind, I'm like, how can you have that kind of doubt while you're worshiping like that? But doubts come, right? Satan, he's always trying to fill us with doubt. He's always trying to get us to stop what we're called to do, to stop what we're doing, right? So doubt comes. And, and I think about doubt, and I think about John the Baptist when he's in prison. And he had already seen the dove come down from heaven, and he had already heard the voice of God saying, this is my son who I'm well pleased. But now he's in a situation where he doesn't think he should be. He's in this jail, and he's like, well, if this is the son of God... If this is the Messiah, if this is the Savior, I probably shouldn't be here. So he says, hey, y'all go over there and ask him if he's really who he says he is or we should, we should be ready for somebody else. Yeah. So doubt happens. It doesn't say who it was that was doubting, but it says all through the rest of the Scripture the one that was doubting, but there may have been a little doubt in everybody's mind. If this was really going on, if this was a dream, right? Was this really happening? Was it, have they been hoaxed? But, but if you look at the way the disciples were killed, there was no doubt in their mind that this thing was real. Because why would somebody go, through the, uh, go to the extent of spreading the gospel to the point of being killed? In some terrible ways. They believed. They may have had doubts, but they believed. That word doubted, uh, if you look it up, it basically means to have two opinions at the same time. Okay. So they had th this one opinion, but then they might have had another opinion, right? And, and I don't know, I hadn't looked at that in, in depth. I just uh, glanced at it. 18, it says this, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. It tells us by what to do and by what authority to do it and where to do it at. Right? right? And so it says first, it says, uh, it says all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, right? And, and I, um, I have a mentor that's a, a retired judge, and, and it's funny to me every time I think about that, uh, the lifestyle that I used to live, and now I sit down and eat dinner with the judge once a week. Um, but he's a, he's a good guy, and, and he says his, his representation, or when he thinks about this, all authority's been given to me, he thinks about when he signed a warrant, right? Because he had the authority to pass on to somebody else. It's delegated authority, that's what that word means, right? So he had this authority, and he could write a piece of paper out, and he could hand it to somebody else, and he could say, hey, go do this. Go pick this guy up. Go take care of this. Go do this. So that's what his, uh, what comes to his mind. That's the picture that he gets when he thinks about this verse. And he says, um, he says, go therefore and make disciples of, of all the nations. Right? And Jesus, he's given us the authority to do this. Go is not the command. And so I've talked to people about this, and they say, go, 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 go. Yeah, go, all right, that's, that's good. We're supposed to go, right? But we're going every day. We're already in the process of going. We go to church. We go to work. We go to Walmart. We go to the whatever. The command is to make disciples. And make them all along the way wherever you're going. And, and I'm just going to talk about Yodi again 
because she's making disciples every single day at work. She's actively, every single day of her life, pouring into these women, teaching these women how to look at their Bible and read their Bible and teaching them they need to pray at work and, and have devotions at work. And she's actively making disciples, right? Teen Challenge is a uh, disciple-making, uh, 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 it's a disciple-making place, right? Uh, and so we're all involved in uh, each our own little parts of uh, having a part of making disciples, but we don't have to go find disciples, right? They just have to come to us sometimes I court by one of the authorities that the judge uh, g- gave to somebody else. Hey, go pick this guy up and tell him he's got to go to Teen Challenge, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but I've been challenged recently uh, for the past um, while to, to do more, right? To do it outside of Teen Challenge, to find some young men that I, can, that I can pour into, that I can teach to study the Bible, that I can teach to have a relationship with God, that I can teach to try to uh, disciple them on how to hear from God. So make disciples, uh, it, there's two words, it, 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 it's one Greek word, it's matheteo. It means to be the disciple of one, to follow his precepts and instructions, to make a disciple, to teach and instruct. A disciple is a learner and apprentice of someone he has attached himself to. The verb tense in this uh, make disciples is the Greek aortis imperative verb. It's saying to do this now and continue to do it. It's universal in application it's for everyone, and it's eternal in duration. It means it's to do it forever. It's a command, right? So, we have the Ten Commandments. This is just something for you to think on. What happens, what do we call it when you break the Ten Commandments? Sin. Right? If this is a command, and we're not doing it, it's just something for you to think about. You will, re- you, will reproduce, you, you, will, you will reproduce what you are. You cannot make a disciple if you are not a disciple. Francis Chan said this, making disciples is all about seeing people's tran- people transformed by the power of God's word. If you want to see that happen in others, you need to be experience, experiencing such transformation in yourself. Romans 12, 2, it says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? That word transform is the, uh, is the word, um, uh, metamorpho. And it's where we get our word metamorphosis, metamorphosize, or when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. And the, the definition of it means to, to literally change into something else. So if we want to see other people's life change, we have to be experiencing that same change ourselves. Verse 20, it says, Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Uh, uh, Teach them to live the life you've learned from me, Jesus says, a life of obedience. And then it says, uh, Lo, I am with you always. That's the promise of a gentleman, right? And that's something I can hang my hat on. That's, all, that's like, uh, I'll never leave you or forsake you, right? I'm with you always. It doesn't say I'm with you just while you're at church. It doesn't say I'm with you just while you're reading my word. It doesn't say I'm with you just at this time or that time. It says I'm with you always. And I'm backing you. I got you. I've given you the authority you need. <clears throat> so, real quick, uh, I want to look at what a disciple looks like. And if you can't see yourself in any of these, you may want to examine yourself. This is the words of Jesus. 
A disciple fishes for men. That's number one, Matthew 4, 19. Then he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I'm going to go through these kind of fast. A disciple bears fruit. Uh, this is John 15, 8 and 16. Uh, 15, 8 says, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. A disciple bears fruit. John, 16, uh, John 8, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask in the Father's name, he may give you. A disciple bears fruit. A disciple abides in the word. John 8, 31 and 32. It says, uh, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed, uh, who believed him, If you abide in my word, I want to stop and talk about that word if just for a second because if is a conditional statement, followed by some things you need to do and some things you're going to get if you do them. Everybody likes to say you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, but you're not going to know the truth if you're not abiding in the Word. Right? You have to abide in the Word. If you're never reading your Bible, if the only time that somebody could tell that you were a church member is if they passed by here and saw you coming out the church door, you might not be set free. You've got to abide in the Word. Word will make you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I'm not going to read all of Luke uh, 14, uh, 26 through 35, but it's simply this. A disciple is all in. A disciple is all in. And he might put it up there on the screen uh, so you can see it, but you can look it up yourself. Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father... His mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters. Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And you can read the rest of it. A disciple is all in. It does not mean hate. We know that God doesn't want us to hate anyone. It simply means to prefer over. It's the word miseo, M-I-S-E-O. It just means you have to prefer God over every other single relationship you have in your life. And let me tell you something. A father-son relationship was a big deal in Jewish culture. And so he was really presenting them with a challenge to the point to where some people just turned away. They was like, this is too much. We can't do it. This is discipleship. You should be willing to give everything up for it, but not give it up for anything. That's the cost of discipleship. Number five, a disciple is obedient to Jesus. Matthew 28, 20, uh, teach them to observe all things. It doesn't just say teach them to Observe them. Uh, it doesn't just say to teach it to them. It says teach, them, teach it to them to obey, right? Teach, it, teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Joshua 1.8, it says that this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall do everything it says. Meditate in it day and night and observe to do all that is written in it. Obedience. Obedience has always been the desire of God's heart. Right? It even says that if you don't obey him, you better check your love. In John 14, 21, he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. See, I used to say I love Jesus all the time, right? But it wasn't a biblical form of love. Because I was out there living the way Bradley wanted to live, just making a statement. Oh, yeah, if somebody asked me, yeah, I love God. I love God. But God says, if you love me, you keep my word. And it's not a one-time thing. You can look all through 1 John, and it says it over and over again. Deuteronomy 6.4, Shema, it means here to obey. Uh, a disciple loves his brother. This is number six. I'm almost done, y'all. 
Almost. That's my first closing. Uh, a disciple loves his brother, John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I've loved you, uh, that all... Uh, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The last mark of a disciple by the words of Jesus, a disciple has and imparts world vision. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, what we just read. And Acts 1, 8. Acts 1, 8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witness to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, the known world. That's where you'll be my witnesses. Right before that, it's, uh, the disciples were arguing over who was going to, if they were going to take over. They look, are we going to do this thing or what? And he said, don't worry about all that. Just know this. You're going to have some power to do what I told you to do. Oswald Chambers said this, and my utmost for his highest. Our work is not to save souls, but to disciple them. Salvation and sanctification are the work of God, sovereign grace, and our work as his disciples is to disciple others other lives until they have totally yielded to God. One life totally devoted to God is of more value to him than a hundred lives which have been simply awakened by his spirit. A worker, as workers of God, we must reproduce our own kind spiritually and those lives will be God's testimony to us as his workers. God brings us uh, up to a standard of life through his grace and we are responsible for reproducing that same standard in others. It's not our job to make believers. That's what I started out with, right? That's not my job. I can't make anyone believe anything, right? If God can't do it, I definitely can't do it. But God can. The Bible says we can't even know him unless he draws us to it. It's our job to make disciples. I heard a guy say this one time. You're not making disciples if you're always alone. You can do evangelism alone. You can't make disciples alone. Uh, evangelism can be done without discipleship. Discipleship cannot be done without evangelism. You got to have people with you. Mark 3.14, it says, Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him. He transferred life and he transferred truth to these men. And by these twelve men... Everybody that knows Christ knows Christ by these 12 disciples. The whole world, the whole known world was flipped upside down by 12 men. How many people are in this room? Now I just want to leave you with this thought. Believer or disciple? Disciples aren't born, they're made. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Woo. Hey, just, just let me say something really quick. I fly all over the world, and I fly in a lot of Muslim nations through Dubai and Qatar and things like that. And when you fly on an, an airline, like I fly on uh, Qatar Airlines a good bit, and, um, you know, in entertainment, you look at the movies, you know, and the games you can play, and then they've got books. What is the first book? The Holy Koran. 
That's the first book that they offer you to read because it's a Muslim nation. I ask people this all the time. If you could go back in time and change one event, what would it be? The number one answer that I get from everybody is kill Hitler. World War II, over 60 million people died because of that man's actions. That'd be a pretty good thing to do. But not me. I said, I'd go back, I'd sit down with old Ben Franklin, Mr. Jefferson, Mr. Washington, and I'd say, do not put in our Constitution freedom of religion. I would go back and say, you must say that America is a Christian nation and no other, denom- uh, no other God can be worshipped in this place. The other thing that I always say, and when you said that, I went, oh my gosh, we think so much alike. That's just crazy. My least favorite word is believers. That's my least favorite word. I wish that the church would just eliminate that, that word because of the very first scripture that you put up there, Bradley. Even the demons believe and they tremble. Disciple, Christian, whatever you want to say, but don't say believer. Like he said, it takes more faith to be an atheist than it takes to be a Christian. I'm going to use that, and I'm going to tell him one time that Bradley told me that. The second time, I'm going to say I'm a man of God. And the third time, I'm going to say God told me. So the way you do that. you got to gradually ease. But anyway, let's all stand to our feet. If anybody needs prayer, come down. I'm telling you, there's an anointing down here. When somebody stands up and preaches, they're very 